This is That Means Nothing to Me, a podcast about incredibly specific accomplishments. I'm your host, Trey Taylor. Uh, Welcome to episode three, the Father's Day episode. Just a quick note before the show gets started. This episode deals a lot with healthcare and the healthcare system. Please don't treat any of the medical opinions expressed in this episode as fact. Consult your doctor or your physician if you have any specific questions about your health. Thank you. Father's Day is right around the corner. So I reached out to my dad to ask if he wanted to be a part of the show. He's been in healthcare for the last 34 years at a company called Visient which is member-owned healthcare. If that means nothing to you, don't worry, we'll get there in a minute. I started researching the healthcare industry and even my dad's job, and I realized how uninformed and how little I knew about what he did. So the interview that follows is kind of half an episode of this podcast, and it's also half like me asking questions that I should have asked a long time ago. And really taking an interest in something that my dad has poured his entire life into. So, without further ado, welcome to the Father's Day episode of That Means Nothing to Me. Enjoy. My name is Rick Taylor. And Trey has invited me here today to talk a little bit about some of uh, the things that I'm proud of. And uh, I'm, first of all, very, very excited to be here and be a part of this podcast. Uh, for the last 20 plus years, I've been involved with healthcare and working in, for a group purchasing organization. Um, we combine hospital uh, purchases on the pharmaceutical and medical supply side and build contracts with suppliers. And that has preoccupied a lot of my time. But uh, one of the things that I wanted uh, to focus on with being proud of was being basically a patient advocate. This is work that came out of going to pharmacy school in Chapel Hill and working with hospitals and patients and being involved with helping them be compliant to the medications that they took. And it's amazing how many people don't take their meds properly. And it's amazing how many folks are nervous about interacting with doctors and are nervous about going to the hospital. And it's very interesting to me. And it, it ultimately helps people take better charge of their own health care and basically be their own advocate. What, for people who don't know, is a group purchasing organization? Well, that's a good question. Uh, There are not a lot of them out there. Um, It's basically what it sounds like. We have a group of members, in this case hospitals, that purchase things, uh, supplies, pharmaceuticals, really soup to nuts. Um, Anything that uh, they basically purchase to run a hospital, instead of one hospital buying it all on their own, we combine the purchases of basically about 3,500 hospitals across the United States so that we can go and negotiate contracts for the products that they purchase in aggregation. So we are a group that purchases 
and makes contracts for these products. Uh, you know, and I specifically work on the pharmaceutical side of things, trying to help the pharmacy departments and the clinicians make the most of the pharmaceutical contracts that we've negotiated. A term that I saw come up a lot when I was researching was member-owned healthcare. What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think that's a real differentiator in what we do. Um, our hospitals actually own us. It's a cooperative. Um, they are a part of a network that has an ownership stake so that when we do well, they do well. So the money that they earn through purchases of our contracts gets sent back to them. So each of these you know, individual hospitals has a share, privately held, I should clarify, that, um, that gives them ownership. This also gives them a very important, uh, one, one other thing that's really important, and that's a voice. So how we spend their money, how we invest their money, how we uh, manage technology is all based on their input. So we're ultimately serving these member hospitals that exist across the country. How has, in your experience, COVID impacted the healthcare industry as a whole? Wow, Trey, that's a, a quite a, a broad question, and it's been dramatic. Uh, there have been spots and parts of the country that have been very dramatically impacted. Um, we've all seen on the news, the New York area just probably devastated um, other parts of the world and, and, and the, you know, have, have also been equally uh, devastated. The United States is a little bit different in that there have been pockets that still have not been too dramatically impacted. More rural, um, less populated areas have certainly not been dramatically impacted, such as the you know heavy populous centers. Um, as far as healthcare goes, you have to think about every patient and every nurse, every doctor, every orderly, every dietitian, every interaction that that patient has, having to be dressed in protective equipment to protect themselves. So the first and probably most important aspect of this was this huge need for PPE, personal protective equipment. And as a group purchasing organization, we have contracts for these things. And that has led us to expand those contracts, to push those suppliers, to uh, build you know, bigger and greater relationships with these companies, to be sure that our hospitals were adequately supplied. And as a whole, how do you feel like your company did? Did you make an impact? Well, uh, collectively, um, I believe we've had a great deal of impact on it. Um, individually, the hospitals that I serve have been appreciative of our efforts to bring uh, equipment and supplies to their uh, forefront. It has been, um, you know, an impossible task in some places to supply all they needed, and there have been shortages. I would say that one of the neat things that we got involved with was um, using the national stockpile. Um, you may have heard about that on the news. Almost every major metropolitan area has medical supplies, medical equipment, drugs in a stockpile situation for emergency settings. And these were used on a number of cases. And we helped manage 
sort of the process of hospitals uh, allocating that and making sure that you know it was being equally distributed across uh, those parties that needed it most. Um, uh, we used some of the metrics that the Johns Hopkins uh, organization used to track and trend COVID. If there was really a very heavily impacted area, we were able to get them the supplies they needed quickly and efficiently. How could it have been done better? We're doing some evaluation of that, you know, even as we speak, and I don't want to be too businessy, but we kind of forgot about the financial side of it and started helping just, you know, where we could help. Um, there was a great deal of, of donations made from companies. Uh, let me give you one example. We worked with Forward to build face shields and masks, which was a neat uh, process, and were able to donate. I think the last time I saw it was something like two million face masks across the country wow. to member hospitals. Um, it probably should have been five million. So my point is that we could have certainly done more at the protective equipment level, but we tried to get what we could get where we could get it. And quite frankly, as of this recording, are still working on that. Um, it's by no means over. And as of this part of early June, you know, we're still working to be sure that the, the clinicians and, and hospitals have what they need to treat the patients. What do you think we as a people and healthcare as an industry has learned that we can apply towards next time if this were to ever happen at this scale again? Well, a couple of things. There were some emergency preparedness you know, skills that are basically taught. And if I could be specific to Florida, we've learned a, a great deal of things about emergency preparedness for being ready for hurricanes and managing through that. It really, it really wasn't that different except that it lasted for three months and is still still enduring. Um, secondly, I believe we could much better allocate supplies for days on hand and episodic care of people that are going to present in some sort of a, a emergency infection disease driven uh, pandemic like this. It was amazing how quickly we recognized as a company and our hospitals recognized as healthcare providers how unprepared they were. Uh, better use of supplies and allocation of supplies and learning from our past to be as prepared as possible. You've worked in healthcare for 34 years. How has it changed from when you first started up until now? The pace of change is just dramatically increased. Um, I read something about the amount of literature that is produced every day that even a, a, a basic physician, not to mention a specialist, should be familiar with. It's, it is an insurmountable amount of information to know. And to coincide with that information, it's become far more accessible to the general public. You mentioned WebMD. Um, you know, in the late 80s, we didn't have WebMD, and there were 
people that were resources. Now people have different resources. So I would say a couple of things. The resources have changed. There used to be libraries. Now there's the internet. There used to be you know, a lot more readiness to uh, go to a physician and ask questions rather than look it up or research it on your own and do some preliminary work before you went down that path. And then lastly, um, medicine in general is getting dramatically more customized and specific to patients and patient conditions. Um, we have a number of treatments and um, you know, care continuums that are very, very specific to a person's individual genetic profile, um, you know, their health profile, their demographics, and their geography even. And I don't see that changing. That's actually going to increase even more and more where uh, theoretically your genetic profile um, would be lo looked at as your, you know, as one of the main diagnoses, and it's getting easier and easier to do every day. And oh my, this gene's not right. Let's work on that one. Um, you know, we're not quite there yet. Uh, we're also growing. <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better word, cells. You know, we will eventually be able to grow along in a petri dish, for lack of a better description, that matches my genetic lungs makeup, and so transplants and and surgeries will be just major changes if that tissue is available. How does patient privacy factor into the sessions you have with your patients? Well, I take it extremely seriously and um, would not would not violate anyone's confidence. I treat it just as if a, a lawyer or a physician's guidelines of patient information. Um, no, nothing would be shared. Uh, there are professional advocacy agreements that you sign that you know, guarantee privacy and compliance. You know, I've often said that I'm not a physician. You really should ask your doctor about this. When I was in pharmacy, is your audience okay to hear kind of something dirty? Okay. When I was in pharmacy school, you have to remember that I was also in a fraternity. And if I had a nickel for every time someone came to me and said, well, it hurts when I pee or it burns when I pee, I used to just say, here's the address of the infirmary. Get out of my face and leave, leave me alone. Go get some penicillin. You learn very quickly when people come to you for health advice that they're not always looking for the right answer. They're looking for an easy out. What problems and issues are most common when dealing with patients that, that need your help and your advice? I mentioned poor compliance, um, adhering to doctor's orders, but it's also really difficult when you're the only one listening to a physician and the physician knows exactly what he's telling you and you have to recall this and repeat it and implement it in your life. We've learned to hand people pamphlets and information 
and data. And of course, we have all of the internet at our fingertips to pull information on. But it's amazing to me the lack of understanding and education of someone being discharged. It's really important that they go through that process, that they recognize that they may have a lot to learn about, and they embrace that and make the most of it. Where real advocacy comes into play is those patients that don't do that and they really need someone there beside them to be another set of eyes, to be another set of ears, to cautiously um, intervene between them and the healthcare providers, ask some good questions, arm the clinicians with some facts that, let's say it's somebody that's a, an elderly person who you're caring for. Um, you, you really have to help them get through this system or the system will eat them alive. And um, I you know, have had the ability on a number of occasions to help folks like that. And nothing is more rewarding than helping somebody whose family member can't be there. And that's happened a couple of times. Give me an example, if you can, of a patient that you remember, that you followed up with, that you were an advocate of, that you really felt like you made a difference with them. Well, that's a, that's a good question, Trey. Um, <clears throat> I, I can remember in one of the volunteer organizations, uh, a, a, I don't know, 50-year-old male and his son, and the man had a horrible dermatological condition. And they didn't really know what to do. And I was just, you know, kind of asked if there was anything pharmaceutically that I would know of. The dermatologist wasn't there that particular night. And it just so happens that there's a specific night where a local dermatologist who's just a great human being volunteers. So we did a couple of things. We got him some basic, you know, cortisone, you know, for the topical treatment of the, of the condition just kind of a Band-Aid approach. And then we got him connected to an appointment to come back when that dermatologist was there. And it just so happened that that was another night that I volunteered. And he came back. And the son came back. And he met the dermatologist. He diagnosed the situation. He hooked him up with his office. He got him connected to the resources. Over the course of our interview, I learned that the son was interested in going to nursing school. And I had just a day or two before that been interacting with one of the folks that work for Johnson & Johnson. And Johnson & Johnson, although they're this huge conglomerate company that doesn't do everything right, they have got this phenomenal program. Uh, this is emotional. They've got this phenomenal program that they help people that are interested in being nurses go through nursing school. And I got that kid connected to it. A couple of weeks go by and he wrote the nicest thank you note and letter. And I, I don't remember feeling, you know, his dad got a good dermatologist, but the kid got into nursing school all because they came into Shepherd's Hope. And that group of professionals who were there that night helped them go about their business and get, get care. And not everybody has that experience. Uh, you know, I certainly don't remember every person that walked through that door, but that father and that son, given that his father's name, uh, they just popped into my head.
How has being a father changed the way you view healthcare, both for yourself and for other people? That's a good question, Trey, and I'll, I'll say it, I'll, I'll kind of answer your question this way, and I mentioned it earlier. If we're not willing to be our own best patient advocate, then don't expect anyone else to be. And I think I've tried to live that. Um, most family members, perhaps you included, would want to throw something at me for, <laughs> for some of the rules and, and guidelines I've tried to implement. But, you know, it's, it's even amazing. I hate missing a dose of medicine that I'm supposed to take because I feel like I've failed <laughs> to complete my own uh, mission here of being a good uh, patient advocate. I, I'd like to think that, you know, being a father changes certainly your perspective of things, and I want nothing but good health for you. I think it's helped me be a better caregiver of my family members. I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to talk about this, and for the forum that your podcast has presented. And um, I'm really proud of it and uh, really proud of you. Thanks. <laughs> I want to thank my dad for taking time out of the middle of his work day to come to my house and record uh, this episode. We ended up recording for about two hours, which is significantly longer than anybody else I've interviewed for the show so far. Um, and a lot of that was because we weren't necessarily talking about what he was proud of. We weren't talking about coronavirus. We weren't talking about healthcare in general. We were just kind of talking and we were getting off on tangents and telling stories and it felt really good to be able to give him my undivided attention and listen when he's talking about something that he's passionate about and ask questions and really kind of be blown away by the by the stuff that my dad has has done and the experiences that he's had after we were done recording we went out to dinner can you hear an accent in my voice oh yeah southernish oh yeah you have none of it. <laughs> really? None of it. <laughs> I find that interesting. Why not? Why do you think I don't have a southern accent? You don't. <laughs> do you think you have a southern accent? <laughs> no. Well, then why do you think I think you have a southern accent? <laughs> it's just generally... I mean, it's... Generally... I didn't tell him that I'd started recording. I just took my phone, put it in the middle of the table, and left it there. I had planned to get candid, funny conversation that I could use behind me talking in this section that I had planned to put at the end of the episode. What I ended up getting was some of the most genuine and heartfelt conversations that my dad and I have had in a long time. We're very similar, and we're very stubborn, and we haven't always gotten along. And I think all it took to bridge that gap was me to express interest in something he's been doing for three decades and then listen to the answer. My original plan was to record filler. Room audio, 
our voices muted just enough in the background to add context to this dialogue-heavy section at the end. But what I ended up getting was worth so much more to me than background noise. So I've decided to leave it between my dad and I and Lucas, our server from Buffalo Wild Wings. I think it's better that way. Happy Father's Day. That Means Nothing to Me is a brand new podcast hosted by me, Trey Taylor. All of our music credits for this episode, as well as information about Shepherd's Hope, the nonprofit that my dad volunteered for, can be found in the show notes, wherever it is you're listening to this. Special thanks go to Ricky Taylor, Mara Orpeza, Darian Wigand, and everyone else who listened to this episode pre-release. Just a small note, anyone listening who knows anything about voice work, my dad is interested in becoming a voice actor. So you could consider this entire interview part of his resume. Something I'm really proud of is in the last week or so I've set up a Patreon for the show. There's a couple different levels in there that range from just general support to getting your name in the credits to being an actual ad sponsor and having a segment in between places for me to plug a product or service or anything of your choice within reason. I'm going to be posting some exclusive content about the creation of the episodes as well as some pre-release tracks and previews that I'm looking to get feedback on. You can check it out at patreon.com slash that means zero, the number zero. We're still working on the formatting, length, and overall vibe of the show. So if you have any questions, comments, or you just want to let me know what you thought, please feel free to shoot me a message at contact at thatmeansnothing.com. We can also be found on all social media at that means zero, the number zero. Thanks for listening and happy Father's Day.